Taking out my headphones. <laughs> Editing bots. Hey best friend, I'm back. Hey man, how are you? I didn't hear any of that. <laughs> we usually start with follow-up and we usually leave stuff about our lives until the end of the show in the green room. Mm-hmm. But I think today we're going to have to break from form because something quite amazing has happened. Do tell. So I was, I was in work. And a, uh, a stranger walks in and is looking for Artifexian. And so I was spotted and recognized at work by an Artifexa fan, which... Like, in, so you were in the academy? I was in the academy. And I was standing was... at reception. And a stranger comes in and is like looking for Artifexian, which in and of itself is amazing. Like, it's so cool. But that, happen, that's, uh, that happenstance, that thing that happened... Uh, inadvertently has saved the podcast from being scrapped. Okay. Yeah. So for listeners, myself and Bill have had a bit of a torturous time trying to get this recording done because of scheduling failures. Edgar forgot a microphone one time, not being able to record in certain places. And it's been, it's all been a bit of a nightmare to the point where I was half considering Bill texting you and being like, this might be too cumbersome to go to do, especially mm. if we can't find a good place to record. Mm-hmm. Turns out this particular Artifexa fan has started up a business here in Dublin City, which, which is called the Clockwork Door. Right. And the Clockwork Door is sort of like, it's like, it's, it's, it, technically it's called a time house. And this is where you can come to this place and treat it as your home away from home and only pay for the time that you spend here. Stuff like food and drinks and facilities are all free. Okay. So I, I was so, so the, 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 the Artifacts fan said like, oh, it'd be great, Artifacts, if you can give us some promotion, help us out. And I was like, well, uh, could you give us a recording space and then I could maybe mention you on the podcast for having saved the podcast? And this is what has happened. I am now sitting in said time house recording and I'm allowed to be here whenever I want to record for free, I might add. He's been kind enough to give me the facilities for free. Oh, wow. And literally this person, I don't even know if I should use his real name, but I'll just, I'll just say this person uh, has like in no, like, and this is not hyper- hyperbole. He has saved the podcast. It's amazing. That's brilliant. And I got to tell you, man, I got, uh, there'll be pictures in the show notes of this, this place. It is cool like it is it's just a new business just started up and it's it's got a real like young person's vibe to it like there's board games room and there's like an art room for like designers can come in and use the facility and there's a really cool like uh, hipstery vibe in here but not with the not with the negative connotations that hipster is check out the show notes guys it's it's awesome and thank you to this person he knows who he is the podcast has been saved yeah, thank you so much, Clockwork Door. <laughs> he is now referred to as Clockwork Door. And I invited, <laughs> I invited him on to say a few words to Bill, to you, Bill, and the listeners. And he was too shy. <laughs> so uh, we, we, thought, we thought that would be a nice way to repay this guy for his kindness. But uh, he was like, no, I, I don't want to do that. So, but it's just, it's just great. And I feel so happy 
that it's that it's that this is happening because otherwise that may would have meant the complete death of Artifexian and that would have been a sad sad time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool. So that's that's first bit. I just want to say I've been recognized. So it's, it's the first. So did, did he go into the academy with the intention of finding you? Partly. So he was going around Dublin, uh, putting in flyers around the university, saying that there is this time house that students can come to and study in, in quiet if they want ah, okay. and hang out. And then, but while he was there, he's kind of like, I know, I know Artifexian works here. <laughs> and so, what did whoever was on the reception say to that? Uh, they, well, they immediately got a phone call when this person walked in. Uh, so they couldn't say anything, but I got a little smile and my boss has been teasing me now, like kind of <laughs> mocking me and treating me like a little, like minor celebrity, uh, <laughs> which is kind of, which is really fun. And it's really weird. Like, like I've been recognized twice before, but both times were in Google at a YouTuber's event. So it's not really the same thing, but yeah. th- this was a proper, just going about your day and suddenly you're like, hey, you're Artifexian. And it's like, what is this? What is this craziness? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the best. It's the best. Um, so yeah, people in Dublin, uh, I'll leave links to the, the website, to this place. You should come down and check this place out. Like it's, it's like, it's free to come and like look around. Look around the place. Seriously, it is really cool. D&D nerds, this place is mecca, right? Like you can come here and just grab a table in a really cozy sort of thing and play a D&D game. This is brilliant. Like, And people who aren't in Dublin, like our overseas listeners, go check out the website. I'll leave the Facebook page as well. Leave a like just to show a bit of support because this, is, this really does mean an awful lot to, to me and I'm sure to Bill as well. Mm, definitely. But anyhow, should we, should we start the show proper? Uh, well, we've got more follow-up to do. Well, yeah, but that's what starts the show proper, Bill. Okay, cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to start or should I start? What's up? You start. No, you're in charge. You're in charge. You're in charge. What are we starting with? The next item on our follow-up is naming conventions based off real-life languages. Um, and a follow-up about fonts and a follow-up about uh, writing software. So this is just little bitty bits of follow-up from the last show that I've yeah. kind of condensed into one thing that I want to uh, uh, semi-rant about and... Uh, celebrate mm-hmm. okay so remember we talked about the the problems with naming characters in the last show mm-hmm. i do a lot of people were advocating there seems to be two camps here of naming uh, naming conventions the mouthfeel camp where you just make sounds and eventually the sounds seem right and then mm-hmm. there seems to be the camp whereby you take a foreign language and either directly take their words or manipulate those words and i was thinking about this I have a problem with the second method for naming a character in that, in that, like, say you write a story and I don't know, say you have someone who is made out of stone and you call him Stein as in the German Stein. Someone in Germany would read your book then and go, Oh, that's a bit, I'm not, I don't like that. And there seems to be an awful lot of advocation for doing this, borrowing from other languages. And I'm kind of going, no, I don't think that's a good idea at all. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, it serves a very kind of specific literary purpose that's, um, what am I trying to say? Like, yeah, it's, it's another way of exposing the underlying themes of, of the story. Um, you know, that, you know, you give the hero some kind of symbolic name, like heroic or light or whatever. Um, 
but yeah, there's that problem that it's going to suffer in translation. Like if, if you know, pick, pick a language. German. Pick, pick a non-English language, uh, further away than German. Uh, uh, that we can speak or just any language? Any, any language. Okay, uh, Japanese. Okay, so someone in Japanese writes a story... And they give their characters all these names. Like, we're, yeah, we're going to think that's stupid. Like, the main guy is called Main Guy um, <laughs> or whatever. Um, but my actual main problem with it is that it's, it, just, it just seems really kind of silly to me because that's not how life works. People don't have names based on their roles and stories that happen in their life. They, they're just called, like... Dave and stuff. It was called Kev. And ah, yeah, but 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 real life doesn't have symbolism. Yeah, I know, and that's like that's 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 the point. Like it just it, it really bothers my suspension of disbelief. Okay, okay, yeah, I sp- I think yeah, I think it would bother my suspension of disbelief, but not for the reason that I think it's silly. I just think I'd be like, oh, that isn't of the world in which this work is set. That's clearly just a manipulation of German. Do you know what I mean? Or Japanese? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, uh, that that thing bothers me. Um, I mean, if if they're deliberately invoking, um, say, you know, medieval Germanic aesthetics, or they're deliberately evoking feudal Japanese aesthetics or whatever, then that would bother me a lot less. Yes, uh, because you know, there's there's an aesthetic quality, there's a perceived aesthetic quality and connotations to those words. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that that that's true. That's and because yeah, it's not because it's not modern. It's far enough removed that I can put back some suspension of disbelief. Yeah. But if it's just if it's just taking a modern language, I think, and, and just superficially manipulating a word, it's yeah, I had a problem with that. And lots of people were advocating it. Now, I, to be clear, I'm not saying that people are wrong. Like it's just that's just just my feelings towards the yeah. feedback we got. You know. The, yeah, the, I'd, I'd just rather give them names that I think sound good and let, let, let other things sort themselves out afterwards. You're on team Mouthfeel. Yeah, like I'm not averse to borrowing from other languages. It's just I'm not going to make them symbolically significant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was point one. Point two, uh, fonts. We had a lot of comments in the, in the sub that were like, Edgar, your thing about fonts, we're totally with you. We're totally with you. Well, ignore Bill. <laughs> no, I just want, I want to bring this up because the, very often uh, people are uh, on the Bill camp with things like the Die Hard thing, where no one wants to accept that I'm right. Uh, and so when 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 someone goes, "No, Edgar, you're right in this case," I just want to flag it as a very 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 small victory for Edgar, and I want to say thanks to the listeners. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, was, I probably overstated my own case, just you know, in the spirit of of conversation. But it's I will still stand by that it's not something I really care strongly about. Yeah, yeah. And I, I even when we we're having the conversation, I was like, oh no, I totally get where Bill's coming from. That's totally cool. And I think <laughs> I think I think another way. But you know, it's fine. People have differing opinions. This is kind of what makes life really fun and interesting. Um, but yeah, just wanted to flag that. And then the other thing I want to flag is the writing apps thing. Um, I kind of regret having asked people to tell me what writing apps they use because, oh my God, everyone has their own special combination of how they write. And it's like, there must have been like like 20, 20-ish different apps mentioned in the sub. And I'm like, well, I've learned nothing here other than there are very, very many writing apps in the world. Uh, so mm. I, I am sticking with my wiki 
system <laughs> uh, because I feel like there's no alternative. So um, just wanted to flag that as well. But the most important, the most important item of follow-up, Bill, mm-hmm. is Temeraire Part Two. Oh, okay. We're going back to Temeraire. So the captain, on my request, read Temeraire. Yeah. The first book, His Majesty's Dragon. And yeah. the captain, uh, her two main genres she reads in is period stuff and mm-hmm. fantasy stuff. So this is, mm-hmm. this is Captain Gold right here, okay? And so she read it. We had a Skype call and she was like, Edgar, tell Bill that he's so very wrong about this book. And then yeah. I was like, I just wanted to pass on as well. I don't know, just to, just to tease you a little bit. And she had the same really strong reaction. She was like, this dragon is so boring. I don't care about this dragon. And it was just, it was very funny. It was like l- listening to me talk back at myself. It's very weird. So, <laughs> so I saw so on a more serious point though, I think I, I don't know. I think I realized that the captain's only one other person, but I, I don't know, man. I think this, this, this is actually an example of like period stuff just done not very well, you know? Could be. Like, so I, what I might do is I might look at some other period stuff and see how I react to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether it's the genre that is just like uh, offensive to my sensibilities or whether or not it's, or whether or not it's temeraire and had just the, how that particular story is done. Um, and the fact that the captain had similar, a similar reaction to me makes me want to explore this a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Uh, but, but yeah, Jesus. He's such a boring dragon. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, and that's, Bill, I believe that's all a follow-up. Um, yeah, that's, that's all that's on the list. Okay, let's, let's go uh, forge on to Music Corner. So are we going to start with discussing the album or are we going to choose a new one? Let's, let's start with discussing an album. Okay. <laughs> so let's discuss that album, Edgar. Man, I'm totally living that in. That was great. <laughs> uh, okay, so we had to listen to Infected Mushroom, Army of Mushrooms. This, yes, this Infected movie. Mushroom is the artist, Army of Mushrooms is the band, is the album. Bingo. Um, and I'm assuming you did, Bill? I did. I actually went and listened to it straight away after we recorded the last one, or like later that day. Oh, huh. Yeah. Uh, I, it took me a while to get to it, um, mm-hmm. but I did listen to all of it. Uh, what are your thoughts? I really enjoyed it. Really? Yeah, I thought it was great fun. <laughs> okay, so I I found it re- like I, I like the last one. I was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's really good music. I uh, I don't know. I found it hard to have a response. Like okay. I I listened a couple of times. It's kind of like, yeah, it's really cool dance music and it's really it's really head boppy and there's cool sounds going on and I was kind of like but I don't know what to say about it I really like the pretender cover at the end oh yes I forgot yeah it's, it's been a little while since I listened to, to it fully through I've listened to bits um, over the last week I haven't given a full listen to yeah I did like the pretender cover I also I really like that original yes I was about to say that original is a great song and mm-hmm. they when they covered it they obviously did all their electronic stuff with it, but they did it really tastefully, like, um, and the song still sung true for what it was. Like, it was really good. Um, I, a negative point about this is, and like, oh God, it's very hard to speak about these things, but it's going to go for it, is 
the I love that they sang in Hebrew, but then I hated when they sung in English. Aside really? from, aside from the pretender, yeah, because I was like, oh man, are you kidding me? This is like Hebrew dance music. Give me more of the Hebrew dance music. And then when they sang in English, there's this terrible thing that happens to everyone in in Europe uh, when they try and sing in English. Is that they just it just sounds really Euro poppy. And you're like, no, 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 double down on your own <laughs> language. Double down on your own language. Um, but yeah, I really love the Hebrew parts. Uh, so what, what did you like about it? Um, I like the, the overall atmosphere of it was kind of, I guess, kind of a little bit dark and aggressive. Mm. Like, the aesthetic feel, I mean, obviously, genre-wise and timbre-wise, it isn't this, but the kind of overall aesthetic atmosphere was quite metal. Yes, yes. I felt. And that, so that, that had me on board. I was like, yeah, no, I, I, can, I can engage with this on that level. It's dark and it's aggressive. And, um, and if I can contrast it with Oracle, um, it wasn't trying to do the genre-bending thing that Oracle was doing. It was just, you know, it was being electronic music mm. and electronically produced sounds, and it focused on that, which made it sound more cohesive overall to me. Um, so that was another point in its favour. Um and yeah, I just I thought they were well crafted songs. I thought they were fun. So, yeah, they really they're really well layered as well. Like yeah, yeah, it was excellently produced. I mean, I mean, I I would I would consider myself uh, an an expert on that. So maybe I'm, I'm overstating the case a little, but like it was everything had its place mm. in the mix and the sound. I felt like and there was a lot lot going on as well. Like it was there's if you stopped and really listened to it, you could hear loads yeah. of different melodies and bits happening like um, yeah and it was it was tastefully added like it was mm. the, the the way things built up was always very well done i felt yep yeah, yeah no I, I agree i agree but again you see like I, I taught all these things but i was kind of like this doesn't sound like feedback right <laughs> it just sounds like yeah no it was great it was good <laughs> i find it so hard to talk about this music because i don't know to talk about electronic music yeah because it's mm. just kind of like it's like head boppy music like if i'm in the mood to like do a uh, do a task that it might be boring to do. You put on some electronic music and you like bop your head through the task. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I don't know. It's it's hard for me to engage upon it, but uh, engage engage it in a critical uh, capacity. But um, but no, I liked. It. It's good. Good. So far, I think we're doing really well with the albums. Like yeah, definitely. We haven't had a shocking one. Uh, and now, as I say this, I suddenly realize, oh, oh God, people are going to stay, start leaving comments being like, you should totally check out this album. <laughs> and it's awful. <laughs> like, in an effort to, to get us to, to listen to bad ones. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, fun trolling, you know? Um, oh, I, I love bad music. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you do like bad music. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? But like, it has to be, like, spectacular and bad, or it has to be, like, like either just kind of... <laughs> Like, either spectacularly bad so it becomes, like, funny or interesting, or it has to be pretty bad but, like, really sincere or something. You know what I'm going to do, Bill? What are you going to do? I am going to, without you knowing... Uh, well, no, you do know because I'm, I'm telling you. But without you knowing what it is, I'm going to add something spectacularly bad to the list. Okay. And we'll see if it comes up. And then the thing I have in mind, hopefully it'll give you great joy. Cool. If it comes, <laughs> there's like zero emotional response. Like, cool, it's good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm not. Maybe, maybe someday I, I, I should do a bit on the podcast where I talk about some of the, the really bad music that I love. I mean, we have shit flag corner. We could have like shit music corner. We could, yeah, we certainly could. Well, are you able to ramble on about shit music like extemporaneously? Can you do it now? 
I, I couldn't, I can do a bit right now, yeah. Do, okay, all right, Bill, I think you should tell the listeners uh, to re- direct their attention to something truly awful that is, that is brilliant. Okay, um, I'll, keep this, I'll keep this reasonably brief. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the 1970s, uh, there was an orchestra called the Portsmouth Symphonia. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're. I know what you're going for. Oh man, listeners, you're in for a treat. Just keep going. Um, and I would highly recommend anyone to uh, look on YouTube. There's a lot of their stuff is on YouTube. Um, to look for the recording of uh, "Alza Spaxarthustra" by um, Richard Strauss, which is very famous as the opening music from 2001: A Space Odyssey. I will leave bum, links in the show notes. Bum, bum, bum. Um, and this is this is a stunning experience because the premise of the Portsmouth Symphonia was that you could only join if you could not play your instrument proficiently. <laughs> so, um, you know, you had people playing violin who didn't know how to play the violin. Or you, you had people who were musicians playing instruments that they weren't familiar with. Um, or you just had people who, who had no previous music experience whatsoever. Um, and this incredible thing happens. And you, you'll hear that. If, you'll hear it if you listen to that, to that track that I recommended. I'm, I'm sure I put the links as he said. Oh, yeah. Um, they, they play this iconic, really, really famous piece of music. And it's terrible. <laughs> like, they're not together. They're not... Like, no one's in tune there's wrong the, the, notes. There's there's wrong notes. Like they're making horrible sounds. It's really ragged. But you know what piece it is. Like pretty much everything that can go wrong goes wrong. It's an awful performance. But even though every single thing is wrong, the kind of the overall effect is something recognizable. You could you'll hear that and you'll say, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's the the 2001 Space Odyssey music." I mean, you might go wow, they're really butchering the 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey music, but you'll know what it is, even though everything is wrong. It's, it's a, like, I genuinely, I, I'm fascinated by that on a philosophical level, like the philosophy of music. I, I just think that's so interesting there. Um, and that's an example of something that is like, it's awful by any normal standards, but I really, really enjoy it. I have seen Bill, like, enjoy this in real life. And watching Bill enjoy this piece is one of the most enjoyable things a person can ever <laughs> can, can ever sit through. It's great, yeah. The listeners should check this out. It is it is quite magical. We should do this. We should make it. Yeah, let's. Let, we can have an addendum sort of to the music corner. We can have music corner where you tell us every month, Bill, about some other shocking piece of music we should listen to. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of blog posts on this topic that I haven't I haven't uh, haven't written on in a while, but um, you can show that, throw those in the show notes if you want. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, oh, it's great. I'm thinking of the piece. I really want to go listen to it. I listened to it after recording. Um, but anyhow, anyhow, so we should we should pick the next album for sure. Now, now, in an effort to save time, because we uh, we were meant to be under tough time constraints today. I went ahead and rolled the dice earlier. Oh, okay. And I kid you not, the number that came up was 12. 
How is that funny? Well, because every this this podcast is in base twelve. Everything I say to you, Bill, is like rank this movie out of twelve. Oh Bill. yes, yes. So <laughs> I was so happy when it came up. It came up as twelve, and that meant that the uh, artist was, and I'm going to butcher this name, Eluviti, Eluvitai. Okay. And the album I chose because it was only they only left the commenter only left the band. The album I chose randomly is Solania or Slania something like that links in the show notes I believe this is not dance music which is great no it's not dance music (laughs) so we have something do you know you know these yeah yeah do you want to rank them out of 12 no oh you're not looking forward to this I hate them oh Jesus I hate. So, I mean, sorry to the listener who suggested them. I haven't listened to them much, but anything I've listened to, I've absolutely hated. This is fantastic. This is pretty. Uh, apologies to the listener. I am going to go into this with an open mind. I'm going to have a listen, see what happens. Yeah, no, no please do. I mean, it's the, the, there is a very specific thing that I don't like that they do quite a lot of. So. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe my yeah. homework can be try and figure out what Bill doesn't like about them. Oh. Uh, you, you, I'm sure I've annoyed you about or given out about this before to you at some stage. Okay. What's what's what what's their genre? I believe I seen metal, some metal, but what metal? Oh well, this is kind of the answer to that question. <laughs> okay, do, do you want to just tell me the genre, man? Okay, it's folk metal, and I I hate folk metal. Oh, I didn't know this. I absolutely hate folk metal. You hate you hate folk metal. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is great. I'm actually really excited about this album now. <laughs> And I've I've listened. I, I I think I first heard them on TV. Like I saw them on um, some metal show, and it was like there was like really awful. What I thought was really awful electro stuff in in the song as well. Like a really kind of crap keyboard solo. And um, there was this like it was it was almost like a kind of a, a, like a post hardcore kind of breakdown bit. I I oh god, I really did not enjoy it. Um, but I will listen to this with an open mind. I will listen to this with an open mind. Um, Bill, Bill, did, did you just say the word breakdown? Yes, Edgar, I said breakdown. W- will there be breakdowns in this music? I don't know. Maybe that was like just that one song, or oh, but it, it was it wasn't like like a trivium breakdown. It was like it was oh. like kind of post hardcore bit. It was yeah, but, I, but I didn't I did not dig it. But but trivium breakdowns are really good. I know you love trivium. <laughs> They're class. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the okay. So we'll stick the links in the show notes to this. I am, I am so, so looking forward to this. This is brilliant. <laughs> okay, right. Me too, to be honest. I mean, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy having to do this. And, yeah, <laughs> and also, yeah, apolo- yeah. Once again, I want to reiterate. Apologies to the commenter who left this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to Bill laid into your musical taste there. <laughs> what can I say? Who's that kind of guy? Edgar. Bill. You are about... Sorry, I was yawning there. Pardon me. Edgar. Do I bore you that much, Bill? Yeah. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) You are about to undertake a rather significant thing. Uh, I suppose. I suppose I am. What, 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 What are you referring to? You are going to Scotland to give a TEDx talk. Yes, I am going to Scotland on the 29th of October uh, to give a TEDx talk in the University of Strathclyde, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the center of Glasgow City. Cool. 
So I want, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is to be like, hey, if we have any Scottish listeners, you should totally come by the university and listen to myself give a talk on world building and loads of other interesting people give talks as well. It'll be a fun day and it'll be cool. Having experienced meeting an Artifexa fan, it would be awesome to meet more Artifexa fans. So Definitely. that is what I am doing. And it's terrifying. <laughs> You're gonna, you're gonna absolutely nail it, man. I totally haven't. Oh god, I'm you're so knocked out of the park. I'm so nervous. Like, so a bit of background here. I narrowly missed out on a first on my degree. In no small part because I find it extremely difficult to memorize material. Uh, I had a lot of memory slips in my final recital, and that uh, lowered my mark, and it wasn't wasn't great. In your concerto. In or in your. No, just just everything, just across the board. It was okay. I was never really able to churn out a a not even flawless, but like a workmanlike performance that right. went from A to B without stuff happening in between. I just always had memory slips. I was never really good at the memory thing. Well, I thought you nailed your concerto personally, but that's just me. Oh yeah, you were there. Yeah, I was. Yeah, no, there's bits in that where I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so obviously if anyone's ever watched a TED Talk, uh, you do it from memory. <laughs> so I am, I am nervously and frantically trying to memorize my talk. And I just hope to God it goes well on the day, man. Can, can you take up even like cards with like reminders on them of like signposts in case you get derailed or stuck or whatever? Like take up on stage. Yeah, it's like little like things in your hand. I reckon, um, I don't know. And I reckon most of this sort of stuff will be established once we get into rehearsals. Um, okay. Like the TED crew, who have been awesome, by the way, at the, the, at the university, um, might be like, listen, there, there, there's slips or whatever here. We'll do X, Y, and Z to alleviate that. But, but um, hopefully, hopefully it'll work out. And then in class, okay, so I'm not going to spoil what it is I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about world building, but I'm not going to spoil the exact topic of the talk. Um, but in classic Edgar fashion, in order to accomplish this talk, I have like over-excelled here and I've created way too many slides. <laughs> and I, look, I looked it up because I've never done a slideshow before, never done a presentation before. And I looked it up and they were kind of like, uh, the general consensus was, you know, between maybe 10 and 15 slides for a talk of about, you know, of about a half an hour or whatever is, is good. That's more than all you need. Uh, my talk uh, currently is at 16 minutes and I believe I have about 150. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it's weird because it's like I, I'm making the slides as if it was an Artifexian video. So it seems perfectly natural to me. But in terms of slideshow, it's not. So not only am I memorizing the actual words, I also have to memorize 150 clicks at the correct times. And it's like, it's, it's going to be, it's either going to be brilliant or it will die a painful, painful death. <laughs> but I'm on, I believe, uh, let me just get out my itinerary here. I am on, at, in the university on the 29th of October. I am on at 11.30. So in the morning, cool. if, if any if any Scottish folks uh, are listening and would like to come and and have a listen, please do. That would be uh, would be an amazing thing. Surely we must have some Scottish artifacts of fans. Oh, we definitely have one Scottish artifacts of fan, but he's uh, on the other side of the country. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I'm going over, I, I'm, I, I'm going to meet that said artifacts. Man. Actually, I don't know why we're being secretive. Bill has a brother uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who lives in Scotland. And uh, we all used to live together. And because I'm in Scotland, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I can like get in extra travel time and look at the place and also say hi to your bro. So that has been established and is happening. Cool. So uh, how long are you staying there for? How I'm, long are you going to be in Scotland for? Like when you're going there... The day before, I assume. Yeah, day before, and then I'm leaving the day after, late the day after. So the idea being, get a little bit of sightseeing in the day before, do the talk and the conference on the day, uh, yeah. transfer over to Edinburgh at, at night, late evening, and then spe- yeah. spend the day having a look around Edinburgh and then flying back out of Edinburgh. Oh, cool, cool. So it's actually, it's a pretty uh, hectic schedule, but it's all working out really well. Yeah. So... So, so yeah, that's that's just just a kind of update and, and announcement sort of thing. And uh, I suppose there's not really much else to add because I'm not obviously I'm not going to talk about the talk. But um, yeah. just want to say thanks for the TED crew for reaching out and being like, hey man, you should totally do this thing. And they've been awesome so far. They've been really, mm. really, really nice people. So uh, they're cool. They're really cool. Nice one. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to hearing how it goes. Um, and eventually there'll be a video build so you can see how it goes. Oh boy, yeah. you can see. You can see how it goes. <laughs> I ha- I had to give no. I was dreading the, the epic failure. I'll probably be. All right. <laughs> um, I had to give a tiny, tiny, tiny sort of like, uh, like a commencement speech is is overplaying what it is. But I had to get up and talk in front of the students at the academy about what my purpose and role is. Uh, and oh, Jesus, bad did I did I did I not give a good talk? <laughs> So, but that wasn't prepared, nor was it memorized. It just uh, it was just rambly. But but anyhow, mm-hmm. anyhow. So th- there you go. That is TED. Short but sweet, but I think important and notable in my life, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's that's great, man. I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm stoked for you. Thanks, man. Shock horror, lads. We're going to talk about some world building, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in particular, we're going to talk about a video that I believe was made like six months ago or whatever. And it's called Middle Earth and the Perils of World Building by the Nerd Writer, who has a quite a, a substantial channel. He's he's relatively well known, and this video is one of his most well known videos. Mm-hmm. And someone in the subreddit last time asked us what we thought of this, and I had feelings, and I was like, let's make it into a main topic. I texted to Bill. And Bill was like, I too have feelings about this video. So we made it into a main topic. <laughs> so do you want to give a summation as to what this video was about? Um, the, the nerd writer mm-hmm. talks about what he calls, uh, I think it's secondary worlds, which is just the, the phrase he uses for con worlds, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're role in fiction and concerns that he has about their prevalence in fiction. Yeah. Actually, without giving away anything, that's actually a really good summation of things. And it's a really well-made video, I just want to say. And I think his stuff is really good. Uh, it's quality produced. He, his writing, I think, is quite good. I, I didn't like the video. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Like, I didn't like his message. What are your thoughts? I didn't, I didn't like the video. You didn't like the video? No. Okay, do you want to explain? Um, so, 
I mean, I, I guess it would make sense for people to to watch it. Um, it's it's oh, yeah, you know, that, that, that. five minutes long. I guess is the kind of the guts of what he says. There's a bit of a uh, you know the usual YouTube spiel at the end. Um, <laughs> he, he talks about um, how uh, when you make world building that, or when you make a, a secondary world or a con world uh, as the focus of your fiction, um, that you're you know you're driving people to find out more about the setting, and that's one of the things that draws people in that they want to know, learn the histories, and they want to chronicle uh, what happens in this alternate world. Um, and he says that there's a number of false premises in this that I think he uses the phrase that writing is a transaction between the, the writer and the reader, mm-hmm. and which is uh, something I'm completely on board with. Um, but he makes he he says there's a number of false premises in this undertaking of using constructed worlds as the basis of fiction. He says that you can't encode the world in language, and that readers are never passive because readers like actually are the ones who are creating the text by reading it. That is when the, the text actually happens. Um, and so the sort of, he, his claimed passivity um, of people who are just like reading this to find out about the world is kind of a myth because they're not passive. They are the ones who are actually creating it in the act of reading. And um, that it's a futile undertaking because all texts are just rhetorical constructs and we can be fooled into not thinking. We can be fooled into thinking that these are not rhetorical constructs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But he doesn't actually say anything. He just says those things. He doesn't actually give any evidence or anything for them. And he never says in any, in any way how that's different to reading a mystery novel or literary fiction. Because, like... You can't encode the world and language when you're writing a thriller just as much as you can't encode a word and language when you're writing Lord of the Rings. Like, it's... Uh, he, he doesn't do anything to differentiate, like, to say why these claims are more true for fantasy or for world-built fiction, world-built fiction, than they are for any other kind of fiction. Yeah, he's, yeah he certainly doesn't give, like, case studies, at least in that initial point. Uh, that opening bit that you're referring to that was a little bit hard to follow for me there was lots of very uh, not big words but lots of like artsy words thrown around that I was kind of like I it almost seemed like he was cloaking his points because there wasn't a point and I think that's what you're getting at there isn't a point do you know what I mean that that hadn't occurred to me but you may well be right yeah like like because yeah the the way uh, uh, sorry go on I, I understood all of what he was saying. Like, I understood what he meant with those points. Like, if you take them as sole, you know, individual items uh, devoid of the surrounding context of the video, like, you know, you know, the readers create the text. That's a pretty established thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, be, you know, you, you, you will make your own interpretation. It will be different from everyone else's. Language is not a fixed thing, all that stuff. Um but it just didn't seem to have anything to do with what he'd said before. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I So what I got from it, now I'm liable to be very wrong here because I found it a, a tiny bit hard to follow, was that he says that in a work that is too world-built, like the world is too well-developed, and it's like it's developed to an extreme sense, the reader has nothing to create and it doesn't inspire like this transaction 
between the author and the reader. Okay, yeah, uh, that seems like a, a reasonable interpretation of what he said. And I was kind of like, well, that's nonsensical because that implies that one can world build something so utterly and completely that the reader truly just becomes totally passive. Like, that's not a thing. Even if you dedicate, like, decades yeah. of your life world building a thing, <clears throat> what some person coming along picking up your book will find something new that you haven't considered and haven't fleshed out in detail, and they will think about it and create that in their minds. So he makes an argument that in order for the argument to work, it must have a 100% case, which it cannot have. So yeah. that bit I found a little bit kind of like, okay, this only functions if we can go to the extreme and we can't. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't like that bit. And like, I, like it's a, yeah, it's almost the thing. more detail makes the actual fiction less real somehow. But like we set fiction in the actual real world all of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a, I just finished reading a book that's set in Cornwall. Cornwall is a real place. So, like, all of that information that you would have to world build, hypothetically, is actually there. Yes. And that doesn't detract from it. Yeah, like, that, it's, that, it, 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 there's an utter disconnect. I don't, I don't understand it at all. Like, like, there's a complete disconnect from what he's saying and the point he's making, if you get me. The real world is extremely well world built. Yeah, like, there's some decisions I wouldn't have made personally. No, like, maybe mosquitoes. Maybe not them. Like, mosquitoes. Yeah, malaria. Yeah, that's... that's Slavery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Humans. Just, we'll get rid of the humans, like, because they they, they cause... Some some of my favourite people are humans. Just just some of them. (laughs) (laughs) As an introvert, man, I can tell you, humans, they they aren't all that cracked cracked up to me. Um, But, yeah, and he, he also goes on and implies almost that this need and lust that people have to find out every single little bit of details about the world. He, he, he frames that in a negative sense. And I'm kind of like, whoa, hang on now. You're kind <clears throat> of like hand-waving away all the fan fiction there. You know, yeah. you're kind of like, you're going, oh, you who want to explore this work further in your own works or whatever, don't do that. That is a bad thing. It's like he's holding up the work, the original work, say, take Lord of the Rings, because he use this example in the, in the video. You hold up that and you go, no, no, this is the way it is. You go no further in terms of like figuring out. And, it's, and it was almost, what annoyed me as well, it's almost like an anti-education thing. Like, because remember, I world build to learn, right? So I'll pick mm-hmm. up a book, read a bit, and then go, that's a really interesting system. Can that be explained by science? And then you put down the book and you think about it for ages and you learn and you study. But he's like, no, no. No, no, that, that, that drive to know everything about the world is, in fact, a negative one. And that I fundamentally disagree with. Like, I fundamentally yeah. disagree with that point. Like, that, that cannot be more wrong. Like, and I think objectively wrong. <laughs> so, that, well, I wasn't happy with that bit. Uh, and then, sorry, go on, go on. You were going to say. Um, yeah, the, the thing about the passivity and the, and the the drive to learn. Um, have I have I ever brought up before this thing about um, gendered fandoms? No, I don't think we've about, really about discussed fandoms. Fandom is is often quite a gendered thing. Um, I read a, a Tumblr post or something about it a while ago, but the the thrust of of it was that um, there are two kinds of fandom. Okay. 
no, this, this is a bit of a generalization. Um, but there are, you can identify two tendencies within fandom, and they are, to some extent, quite gendered. Okay. There is the curated fandom, which is what he describes, people just wanting to find out everything, and the canon is sacred, and you don't want to interfere with that. You just want to, like, catalogue the entire thing and mm-hmm. edit Wikipedia and, like, you know take all of the notes and learn all there is to be learned. Mm-hmm. And then there's creative fandom, um, which is where you create stuff inspired by, or you use that as a, a, a starting point for your own creativity. And that leads to things like fan fiction, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. or cosplay, or, you know, I guess, you know, you've got people who started bands based on Harry Potter and stuff. Um and that there's, to some extent, there's a gender divide there. That uh, men tend to be more interested in curative fandom, and women tend to be more interested in creative fandom, or possibly the other way around. That creative fandom tends to attract women more. You could look at it either way, I guess. Um, oh, and he doesn't address that that two modes of engagement at all. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know this at all. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think a lot of fan fiction writers are like the fan fiction community tends to be female, it tends oh, I- to be women. I, I am not really involved in any fan fiction community, so I don't know, but that sounds, mm. that, that's interesting. You wouldn't, that's not something you would think of. You would immediately associate. You wouldn't say, oh, like, you know, people working at the peripherals of a known work tend to split up in gender like that. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's by no means, like, hard and fast. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. And, I, like, I, I can think of examples of, like, big works of, well, I can think of at least one big example of, of fan fiction written by a man. But, um, and obviously, you know, men do cosplay and obviously there's women who edit Wikipedia and everything, mm. but uh, there, it certainly, there seems to be some kind of, um, broad divide there. Yeah. And all that diversity and all that goodness you've just outlined, it's just like, he, the nerd writer just hand waves and it's like, nah, that's, mm. it's all negative. And you're like, what? That's not, that's not a correct statement to make. Um, he, uh, he also goes on to talk about how the again I, I now it's been a while since i watched the video so i'm kind of remembering what my thoughts were so they might be slightly wrong and if so i'll correct them next time but he goes on to talk about how again this need to flesh out the details and catalog everything sometimes destroys the symbolism of a work mm-hmm. and it's kind of like and i i found that really like uh like superficial as in like symbolism can only exist on one level and if you dig any deeper, the symbolism breaks. Like maybe, for example, the author or the creator of the work has put in multi-layered sort of things to deal with the world. Yeah. And the more you delve and the more you discover, the more it strengthens the symbolism. And it's like, yeah. it's like, but it, it's so infuriating because he, he wraps it in really nicely written language. And this is why I said the point earlier. It's kind of like, I don't think he actually has anything valid to say. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't see how. I mean, how can I? How can I put this? Let's take. Um, let's take Lord of the Rings. I don't see how going through it and you yourself looking for you know Aragorn's Aragorn's um, Aragorn Aragorn's lineage and his history, and you know being really interested in that denigrates the symbolism. Yeah. Like or it's, the metaphors. They, like, uh, they're two... They're two entirely unrelated things. 
Well, no, they, they, they are related things, like the, the, the symbolism and the lineage, because they're both part of the same work. But there's, those are two un, unrelated events. Like, yes. Yeah. Doing that and then that bad consequence happening, like, I don't see how they couple up at all. Yeah, I'm totally the same. Totally the same. And I try to remain very objective when watching this and be like, okay, Edgar, pretend you don't have a world-building channel. <laughs> <laughs> try and be like more person. But even just from a logical standpoint, listening to the arguments he makes, they just didn't hold up. Like, mm. um, what you call it, a topic aside, just didn't hold up. What did you think of... That's like the first two-thirds of the video are kind of this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the final third where we bring in the idea of political world building? Okay, so there's a quote here, which, okay. I, which I took down. Um, well, I took it down in shorthand, so I may not exactly get it right, but I think it's it's pretty much there. Wait, wait I need to, can, I, can I stop you there for a second? Yeah. You took it down in shorthand? Like, no, as in I abbreviated things as I wrote uh-huh, them. Like, okay. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know, like, stenographer shorthand. Right, or okay, okay. Um, so it's something to the effect of the world building style of fiction only greases the wheels for its much more insidious and terrifying cousin, political world building. Do you want to air your thoughts on that one before I do? What? I know, it's just ridiculous. What are you on about? It's like, it's, and it, and it's, it's, it, for anyone who's listened to the, who watched this video, there's like an abrupt gear change on that moment. And it's like, all of a sudden, like the topic has shifted. And you're like, how did we get here? What? Where, yeah. Why are we talking about this? And again, he says nothing to actually support that. Yeah, okay, he, he, he has a quote from a writer that he mentions a few times, which is like the, you know, the, the creative minds behind L'Oreal are far beyond, or are far upriver of J.K. Rowling and J.R. Tolkien, and nowhere near uh, the, the creators of Coca-Cola or the Catholic Church. But he, again, he just presents that, that, that quote uh, beside his thing about political world building and doesn't really engage in that yeah. much at all. Yeah, yeah. There's and no... it's like, like, and again, how is that any different to any other kind of fiction? What has world built fiction got to do with it? Because you could write name name any other genre, Edgar. Uh, oh, um, um, a steampunk. Uh, uh, no, no, not oh, not, not world building okay. kind of stuff. Uh, the, the crime, real life okay. crime. Thriller. You could write. You could write an, an incredibly like politically motivated crime thriller of, of any. You could be, write one about how capitalism is terrible. You could write one about how why immigration is terrible. No, no, like, no, no, no. But but like no, no. Sorry to just interrupt you, Bill. Uh, the thing is, I would be kind of on board with his point if that's what he was talking about. If he was talking about that somehow world building is like used by by politics, but it. it it's not like there's no relation at all between reading a book and say the media feeding you political nonsense. Like there's no, like there is no relation. I, I see what he's saying. I see what he's saying in that. But he, like, what he's, we, 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 are, we see a perception of the world through media and through all that. And the same when we read a book, we see a perception of a world. Yeah, yeah but, but what he's saying is like... You well, know, that's if, a really tenuous link. Yeah, yeah but, but also what he's saying is like, oh, if you have like an imagination or too much of an imagination here, you're more primed for political world building. Like... I, um, I don't think about that. I think, I think he, he meant that if you just accept that like fiction uncritically, then you're likely to accept other things uncritically. 
Okay, yeah, no, I, yeah, okay, I see how that could be a point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that, I, I still but argue... again, it's got nothing to do with world, world building. building. Yeah, it's got, and but also I still argue that that's a statement that one should back up. Like, you can say those things, fine, but, like, that doesn't make them suddenly true. Do you know what mm. I mean? Um, I found the politics thing very jarring. Uh, before yeah, it was, it was a really weird change in tone topic now i'm gonna i'm gonna go on about that in a second but just because uh, before i forget the author thing he drops in a couple of quotes from that one author yeah just as a sort of like i don't know as someone who uh really appreciates videos that present an argument and make you think and want to change your mind things like that i don't know just a bit of tip for the nerd writer try and bring in more quotes from more disparate people if it's all the same guy, it's kind of like, oh, has he read the one work by that one guy, and now he's recycling it into a video? Like, I would have right. loved to. I would have loved to have seen, like, different views worded differently by different people on this topic. But because yeah. it was always the one person, it seemed like I, w- I don't want to denigrate the, his work to the to the level of reading a Wikipedia article, but it kind of seemed like that. It's like I read this one thing, and now there's a video about it, and that. That's not great if that's what's happened. I'm not saying it is, but that's not great. On the politics thing, though, and this is the thing I have the biggest problem with, is that his channel predominantly, according to my recommendations, I'm not subscribed to him, seems to be one that deals with politics a lot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he has a a really cool video about analyzing uh, Trump's speech patterns Mm -hmm. and the language he uses. It's very interesting. But it seems to be like that's his thing, doing politics stuff. And then it's, once I realized that, it's kind of like, oh, he's just working it in because that's what he does. You know what I mean? Like, it's like everything is about politics. Like, oh, this world building, cool. Let's make it relevant to politics. Or, you know, uh, paintbrushes, let's make them relevant to politics. And, you know, the, the cup of tea, that is also relevant to politics. And that seemed tenuous. And I think that's the reason why there was such an abrupt change. It was like, he linked it back to his home turf. Okay. So I might just be lacking in context there that he, he talks about politics. So someone who was more familiar with his work wouldn't have been as put off by that gear shift. Yeah, no, they wouldn't. Okay. But I still Fair think enough. the gear shift is bad because it's like linking two disparate things. It's like wanting to associate A with B, even though right. A and B may not necessarily be associated. You know what I mean? And not re- and not doing any work to demonstrate the association. Yes, exactly. Because it so quickly changes. Then you're into politics, and then and it's sort of like it's framed in such a way that you can't disagree with it. It's like he makes points about how the media presents a fictional form of the world, and you're like, yeah, no, that's true. And then the next point is also true, and then the following point is also true. But it's like nothing is gelling and forming a coherent thing. Like it's just I don't know. I found that I as someone who likes world building and mm. enjoys delving into detail and enjoys Wikipedia and fan fiction. I found it a little bit offensive. <laughs> and the, the, one of the final quotes of the video is um, something that we should seek fiction that rattles our perspective and exposes false fronts and etc. etc. But he has he never makes the case that world building fiction can't do that. He just, exactly. kind of, he just kind of states it. He just kind of lays it out there. Oh, well, instead of world building, you know, have you thought about that? But like, obviously world building can, can do that because by creating other situations, you can explore things that didn't happen. You, you know, alternate history can do that. Or you could explore a world in which things are radically different and how people interact in that can 
hold a mirror up to our beliefs, etc., etc. Bingo. You you can set up a world. You can construct a setting, like a geography of a yeah. setting that forces you to hold a mirror up to uh, up to our world and analyze it. That is, and that's one hundred percent like geofiction can do that. Dune, yeah. he mentions Dune in the video and he should have followed up on it. Dune is the perfect example of that. Like that, the, the Arrakis, the planet, is world built to within an inch of its life. Like you know that the author's been doing a lot of work making, yeah. fleshing out and making it real. But you still get, you still have, you're still challenged on themes of environmentalism, of mm. like mysticism and things like Fundamentalism. that. Fundamentalism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You have religious elements coming in. And e- even the spite of the fact that the Dune series is world built heavily, like, and I think, and he, that's really infuriating because he brought it up. He brought up Dune, but he didn't follow it up. And he didn't even make the connection that the thing he brought up demolishes his argument. It's Mm. like, oh man, no nerd writer. This is not, this is not good. (laughs) I don't like it. Like it's, uh, I I found it. I found, uh, I was a little bit angry at the end of it. And especially because it's my hobby. And I was like, oh God damn it. I was I was just more kind of bemused. I was just like, "What is this?" It's yeah, it's 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 a thing that I worry about a lot in um, in uh, online video because like it's so like YouTube videos are so well edited these days and cut together and they're short and snappy and mm. worded really slickly. And I think there's an awful lot of stuff that we and I'm guilty of this as well listen to that it, that's like contentless, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and, because, and because of the way it's presented and we're imperfect humans, we accept it and nod along and things like that. And it's like, I don't know. It's almost like he, the point he was trying to make is, is his own video. Like, you know, be, that, that, that would be actually be quite clever if it was like a, a deliberate kind of meta commentary on it itself. Do you think, do you think that's the case? I don't. I don't either. <laughs> um, and yeah, and it, also, it kind of annoyed me because... Now, again, I'm, I'm saying this is the person who world builds a lot and like puts it in the drawer and ha- doesn't put any of it out there for public consumption. But mm. I, as I think I've said before, the entire premise of my main, um, my main world building project is that everything the reader reads is an in-universe artifact. Mm-hmm. So it's, you never have this neutral external Earth observer. You, you only are seeing things from perspectives of characters within this setting. So the entire point of it is that they're they're all unreliable narrators because they're, you know, they're flawed mortals. They're all going to be subject to their own political biases. Yeah. So that's kind of like the point. Of, no, like I don't know of anyone else who specifically does that. I'm sure it's it's not a particularly original idea. I'm sure there are there are other works that have explored this. Um, but like you mean, I'm doing the exact thing. I'm explicitly exploring what he says world building denies. Yeah. And uh, like to take, um, to go back to the fan fiction example, uh, The Last Ring Bearer is a riff off this. The Last Ring Bearer, we talked about this before, I think. Yes, this is the one where it's Lord of the Rings, but written from the view of Sauron's side. Yeah, and I think it's it's set in the aftermath. Yes. Um, I've only read a tiny bit of it. And like, it's kind of, premise to us is that Lord of the Rings is a propagandized mythology. Mm-hmm. So it's it's written by the victors and it like elevates all of the characters to this like noble position when they were just a side in a conflict. Yeah. And it de- obviously it demonizes the other side. 
Um, and so he's, like, the guy who wrote that is explicitly, like, rattling the perspective both of Lord of the Rings as, as a text and of mythology and how we approach mythologies um, as political text, because, you know, all texts are political uh, in by some analysis. And, you know, it kind of, all texts in general. It, it forces us to think about all texts in general. Yeah. Like, like their political biases. There is, I, there is a multitude of examples. Yeah, so yeah, that's, sorry, that's obviously just like the first one that came to mind. I'm sure, I'm sure there yeah. are... There are plenty others, but what? But like, but that's but that's indicative of what's going on here. Like, you you yeah. just you one popped into your head, and you're like, oh, that, yeah. that, that, that that's a counterexample. <laughs> mm. Like, there's loads more, and I'm sure like listeners will be able to list out a whole loads of. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, and, and another one on like the, the the idea that like the analysis takes away from the symbolism or whatever. Um, have you read any more Wheel of Time? Uh, I have not. Okay, well, I'm not I'm not going to spoil anything here. Okay. Um. But you know the way there's they've mentioned the Aiel a few times. Oh, the Aiel. Who's the Aiel? You you haven't met them. You haven't met them where you are. But okay. they're like they're a kind of a, a fierce warrior race who live in the desert. Okay, all right, grand, yeah. Um so say you know you've read a few of the books and you become really interested in the Aiel and you want you know, you you read up all about the Aiel and, and what's going on with them and you know, you kind of catalogue that. Or even if say Robert Jordan had decided that he was going to, you know, write a separate thing which was like a history of the Aiel and you know, detailed their their things very, very, um, very minutely, which I guess he does over the course of the books, mm-hmm. um, between various things. Like none of that takes away from, say, the 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 Masonic symbolism in yeah. in the Wheel of Time. Like it's that's all still there. Yeah, it, there's no no erasure is going on. Yeah. By exploring, like that's that I see this this sort of like um, looking at things in detail and exploring into it as like an additive thing. It adds to the experience. It cannot detract, you know. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like, and even if it does detract for some, I mean, like, you know, different people like things different ways. Yeah, pe- pe- yeah, people are different. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, the uh, just on the point about you mentioned a second ago about how your writing thing is may not be original yeah i because of watching this video i was like do you know what i should read dune because i watched that really terrible terrible movie version of it um uh, ages ago and i was like you know it might be an idea to read dune so i began reading dune and you know it was really cool have you read dune by any chance um i read yes i've read the first three books um a good while ago Grant, Grant. So uh, the first three of the original series. The at the start of every chapter, at least I think they're chapters because I'm doing it audiobook. Um, mm. You have little excerpt uh, read by yeah. the, the Princess Irulan, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's like it's, it builds a little bit, and I keep that I, every time it came on, I was like, oh, that's that's Bill's little writing. It's the italics bit that go in before the main text. And the way oh the, yeah, yeah. The, the way, my fa- your favorite bit in anything I write is the italics. Yeah, exactly. And the way it was done as well in in the audiobook, there was like they put on. It was a big production. This audiobook. So every time the Princess Irlong came on, like, like it was like a cast recording kind of. It's a cast recording, yeah. And there was like special cool. effects in the background. It just helped further cement this idea that this bit of text is written in italics. And every time, mm. I just taught a bill. 
And it was because, and, <laughs> and it was stuff like, again, if you've read it, you notice it was stuff like, you know, from collected sayings of Muad'Dib. Yeah. And then I was like, oh man. Extracts from the Orange Catholic Bible. Exactly. And I was like, this is straight, this is straight out of Bill Land. Like, it's straight <laughs> out of Bill Land. I loved it. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think of Doom? Do you have any, uh, like, um, any memories? It's been a long time since I've read it. Uh, I remember really enjoying it when I read it first. I think there's a lot of very interesting stuff there. Um, but I thought the... Have you finished it? I am um, nearly finished the first book. Okay. Um, spoilers? Yeah, yeah, no, not spoilers. I just I wasn't a big fan of the ending. You weren't a big fan of the ending. Well, is it a book that's meant to end? I mean... Oh, well, like, def- defi- there, there's, a, there's a final page. <laughs> no, but I mean is Okay, all right. Let, let me rephrase. Uh, were you unhappy with the fact that it just didn't finish like there was it didn't seem like it came to a full stop no no the, the, there was like a there was a, a like a you know a, a satisfying dramatic conclusion you know okay like it, they're in like the arc comes to a, a a decent resting place okay you're just not happy with what that resting place was um no more than that um, we'll, oh. we'll talk about it another time when you when you when you finished it uh, literally um, about three hours left to go in it so Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I I enjoy it so far. I really enjoy the world building. Like, there's so many exquisite little details about how like they yeah. can they conserve water, and yeah. all the different ways the it, fremen are cool. Yeah, all the different ways in which the fremen can survive and thrive, and that's great. Yeah. Um, I I find the Bene Gesserit. I don't know how it's pronounced. Is it pronounced in, in the audiobook? Bene Gesserit. The Bene Gesserits. Yeah. I find them uh, really interesting. Um, and obviously there's a lot of kind of gender stuff there, which is probably, which I would probably find interesting on a, you know, a more mature reread. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you know about that side of things at this point, but there's, there's just like, there's just like really cool details about them and how they operate have been woven into it. Yeah. Um, I, I remember one thing that really annoyed me. Okay. Which is? Um, at the start... Uh, so, and this is a thing that occasionally happens in other books, but this is a, a really strong example. Um, so mild spoilers for the first, like, couple of chapters. Um, there are, what, what's, what's, Atreides is, is the main guys? Yeah, Atreides, as House Atreides, yeah. yeah. So, um, the Harkonnens that kind of engineer the downfall of House Atreides near the beginning, and this is kind of what sets off the main events, mm-hmm. um, by... Uh, turning their doctor against them, turning House of Treaties like family doctor against them. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, and what annoyed me there was they set up like in the text that the conditioning that the doctors get that they will never harm a patient and they'll always like serve and they'll always go to heal is set up as unbreakable. Yeah, you know the the doctors will never be turned. You know, it's just like this really strong conditioning, and then the first thing that happens with that is it gets broken. And I was like, well, that completely, like, you know, why did you, why did you even bother setting that up as unbreakable well, if the first thing you're going to do is break it? But, and that, therefore, it has no impact. The fact that they broke the unbreakable thing has no impact because we've never had any other interaction with it before. So it completely fails as a dramatic right. moment for me. Right. That's, that's true. That's not the problem I have with that bit. The problem I have with that bit is, is it that it was announced to us who the betrayer was. And it's mm. like, my God, why did you have to tell us that it was the doctor? Don't do that. 
just mm. let us all let us all go along read the book and think everything's okay and then bam we have a betrayer like it was yeah. signposted like signposted is the wrong word we, we just were told outright at the start that this is a thing and you're like well thanks yeah. for killing all of the buzz you know um i watched a film the other night uh which which has a similar a similar bit in it um well not not, not similar in that sense but kind of a a, a dramatic moment that I really question the the the, the wisdom of. Uh, okay. Um, and so the there's, film there's, is? There's this uh, series of books I really like by an author called Lee Child. Okay. And they're the, the Jack Reacher stories. There's, I don't know, there's about like 25 of them. There's a rake of them now. Um, I've read, I think I've read all by one of them. And they're, um, they're kind of crime novels. And the main character is... He's essentially what you'd get if you got Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan, to write Sherlock Holmes. So he's like, at once, he's this like great detective, but he's also this huge um, male power fantasy. Okay. Yeah. And I, 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 I find this really interesting. I'm completely unashamedly. I really enjoy this. And um, there's, there's like how utterly naked he is about it, it being just, you know, I'm a massive badass. I'm going to punch anyone who disagrees with me. Kind of <laughs> um because I really like Conan the Barbarian. I'm really interested in kind of those sort of portrayals of masculinity. Do, do um, you? Do you? I've never heard of this before. I love Conan. Uh, I you, love Conan the Barbarian. You've, ne- you've never talked about this before, man. Have I not? No. Oh, no. I find, I, I find it really, really interesting. Yeah, never. Um, never on the podcast. Never. Okay, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> Bill, um, never change, man. Why? <laughs> Just never. Go on, go on. Keep going. <laughs> um, and the, the, the whole thing, I'm going to, this is a slight digression, but then... Um, the whole, the whole thing about this character is that he, he's six foot six. Like he's a massive dude and he weighs 200 pounds and, or like 250 pounds. He's a massive, physically imposing man. Um, and he's uh, like an, an incredible, like physical competent. Okay. Um, and that's like the whole thing about him. And the, the author is on record as saying that this, this physical size of the character is a metaphor for like unstoppable force. And that's kind of what he represents. And he kind of, he overcomes all of the obstacles put in his way, both through his like investigative and his, his powers and his wit and his psychology and through his just sheer physicality. Right. In the film, he's played by Tom Cruise. <laughs> that's, that's so, that's brilliant. You know, it's, 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 it's so absurd. Like, I mean, and like Tom Cruise is a fine actor. I, I like Tom Cruise. It's just such a weird casting choice. Wait, wait, hold on. Um, oh, what's the name of this movie, man? So the, sorry, the movie is called One Shot. One. Oh no, no, no. It's called Jack Reacher. Sorry. It's called Jack Reacher. The book it's adapted from is called One Shot. So Jack Reacher. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I really enjoy these these novels. Like, you could read them in, in a day. I often get one in an airport when I'm traveling, and I'll, I'll read it before the end of my trip. Um, and they're good mysteries a lot of the times. So, I mean, some of them are a bit, are a bit naff or whatever. Uh, but they're solid mysteries, and, like, I really like this kind of absurd masculinity of it. Um, and I don't mean that in an, in an ironic way. I, I genuinely really find it very interesting. Um but okay, so the premise of this specific uh, story, one shot or the film Jack Reacher, um, is a sniper shoots uh, five people in a, a, a downtown city somewhere in, in America. Okay. And the this, this guy, this um, this Jack Reacher, gets involved in the investigation through various ways, um, 
and part like there's like it's it's like from the start you see who or they they, they have the suspect they have the, the suspect who who did the shooting okay and over the course you know, because it is a mystery there's kind of a bit of ambiguity there's oh wait did he actually do it and there's all this evidence but did he actually do it or whatever um turns out and in the film in the film you see who pulls the trigger at the very beginning. Oh, no. No, like, you might no. forget his face or whatever, and then, you you know, you, later on, um, you know, you won't, oh, well, was it that guy? No. But I was kind of thinking, because I'd read the book, I was thinking, oh, how are they going to do this? Because for ages they didn't show the face. And then, like, they did, like, re- still really close to the start. And I was like, oh, okay, well, now I know who it is that pulled the trigger. So... <laughs> what happens from now on doesn't have any ambiguity for me. It's, 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 it's solved. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I'm not down with that at all. That's yeah. That's, um, that's silly. But like, and it seems like such a basic thing, like to just suspend that. Like I don't, uh, who, who yeah. sits around. You, you could totally have shot that scene. Like 1 million percent. You could have shot that scene without giving the shooter's face. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like who, who sits around a table, uh, like a writer's room and goes, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to need to spoil this right here, right now. <laughs> like yeah. 15 minutes in. You're like, no, just, just don't. You no, know, like, not, not like, like three minutes. <laughs> when I say for ages, they didn't show his face. It was long. I, it was, I guess it was, long enough for me to say oh they're not showing his face that's clever given how the plot goes but no they just yeah they kneel down and you see his face (laughs) that's totally poor but um and i guess it's completely off topic uh but since we're talking about the film now it's a it's a pretty fun film it's 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 okay um you know it's worth a watch for a kind of a an action movie there's one really really good scene in it okay where there's a car chase um, and it's quite long, you know, it's a, it's a good few minutes long, um, well, and there's no dialogue or anything. Hang on, okay, to, to get the length here, what is it in relation to the Matrix car chase? That's how I gauge all these things. Uh, I, I I saw that film when it came out, dude, I haven't seen it since. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know, how long is the car scene in the Matrix? Well, it just feels obnoxiously long. Well, like, I, I really I, enjoyed I, this scene anyway. Okay, right. Um... It's, 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 you know, it's, it's pretty long and it's, it's gripping and stuff and there's absolutely no dialogue in it. It's all just done from like the, the main character in the car, like chasing a guy and also being chased by another guy. Um, and you don't like, you don't see any of like where the, where the bad guy has gone. You only kind of see it from Reacher's point of view and everyone is like a bit crap at driving. Like they crash loads and they bump into each other and they, 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 it's not like real slick driving and like the car is battered by the end of it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good scene. Yeah. That, that is good. Like it, it's, I know I've said before, I like my slickness and I like things being slick, but like nine times out of 10, you want to bring in a world, real world sort of thing. And yeah. you know, things in the real world get damaged, broken and yeah. bumped and grazed and it's not going to come out you're not going to come out of a car chase in the real world with a pristine car at the other end exactly um, like so, you know th- that kind of wushu you know crouching tiger perfection ballet stuff it, 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 it has a place but for me nine times out of ten something grittier will always will always win for me yeah it, no, it has a place when the work itself explicitly sets it up as a part of the world yeah you know like when oh, you, I mean I guess you could use it for dramatic effect like you know, suddenly, you know, it, it becomes balletic. The violence becomes balletic. And then everyone is like, oh, that was crazy. What, what the hell's going on? 
you know, you could you could use it that way. But um, I guess that falls under what you're saying, explicitly set it up as a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you're watching Die Hard and suddenly you have a stylized car car chase, uh, where and no one ever no one ever mentions anything about it. It's just kind of left hanging. That exactly. Would be really weird. And no, no one yeah. crashes. There's hardly any... It'd be, it'd be a really jarring experience, like, if you were to bring up politics in the middle of a world-building video. Boom. Look at that. Jeez, <laughs> man, I'm impressed, man. That was some, some good callback right there. Uh, okay, I was I was trying to, while you were going on your massive tirade there, I was trying to figure out the duration of the, uh, of the Matrix highway scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a thing a quick Google can... Uh, can can, can fix I will be back with follow up on this because I should actually find out the time because that was my duration I was always kind of like how what is what fraction of a uh, of what fraction of a matrix chase is this chase and ergo is it good or bad for that reason <laughs> um, Edgar in films when characters go underwater do you ever try to hold your breath for as long as they have to uh, no Bill uh, do you do this oh, no me neither <laughs> okay yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> do you do it all the time? But yeah, it's great fun. Okay. But you realize, though, Bill, like, um, that leaving aside the fact that they're usually in water longer than uh, humans could do it, there's also, like, like, a film can also leave out bits that happen. You know, like, there could be cuts and edits, so maybe the character's in there longer, too. It's impossible That's... to gauge. You, you cannot take what's on screen as being reality. Pretty sure you can. I'm pretty sure you can't, man. <laughs> um, and also, the other side of that is like they're usually engaged in some kind of like physical exertion, whereas I'm yeah. just you know sitting on the couch. Yeah, I. So I'd, I'd be able to hold my breath longer because I'm not actually you know using up all my oxygen, exercising. I remember many years ago when David Blaine did his uh, stay in the water tank thing, and I remember watching the documentary of how he prepared for it and attempting to follow along with some of his training procedures mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like oh i just i just like uh, you know i uh, was doing a, a brief workouty thing and whatever and i'm now ready to hold my breath and he holds his breath for like a minute or whatever and then i'm there like get to about 20 seconds and i'm like jesus how is he doing this like I, it's crazy I, I i think i have a disproportionately low capacity for breath holding um right not, I'm not good at it. Yeah, I've, I've got really big lungs. <laughs> I know I do, I do, because I, 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 like, I'm not boasting. In ladies, <laughs> I've got big lungs. Um, like, I, I, I went to, like, a science fair thing, like, maybe, like, 10 years ago, and there was, like, a lung capacity test, and I was, like, like it blew a big lung capacity, so... <laughs> I and also, you know, from playing from playing wind instruments, I, you know, I'm able to take large breaths and kind of control some of that stuff, which is weird, because I, I get, like... Kind of, I get very short of breath quite often. The really, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think I might like some kind of asthma or something. Huh. Oh, there you go. Um, do you know what? Just uh, while we're, I, 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 have we finished the podcast? I, I, I guess we're kind of in the green room now. I, I feel like we've kind of finished the podcast a little we, bit. We were, we were on, um, we were on like uh, office chairs, and we've slowly moved ourselves into the green room. <laughs> we have. <laughs> and no one's talked about it it's become really awkward and you're like should I bring up the fact that we're in a different room um, the uh, so the running shtick right 
Oh yeah. but man, I ran a five k. Did I tell you I ran a five k? No, but I, I saw I saw your picture on Facebook. Nice one, nice one, man. Thanks, but did, I didn't put that on the podcast. No. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, here we go. Let's do take two in case we did. I ran a five k, yeah. Bill. Cool. Uh, and he, I, I, so I ran it in slightly under my personal best. It was great fun. People who who plan on going running or want to aspire to go running can just enroll in a race. It is awesome. The the concept of passing people out is just the most fun thing in the world. It's like <laughs> real life gamification. It is brilliant. And the thing is though, you don't even need to be fit to like get this buzz of beating others because in any 5K that's not like a, an, an athletic meet, you're going to have walkers and runners and you can just like pass them out even if you're ridiculously unfit. So it's great crack. Anyway, the reason why I bring up this running crack is because I have gotten into... Uh, like learning about how runners function and what they do. Mm -hmm. And um, I have been measuring my resting heart rate. Yeah. And uh, the idea being the the lower your resting heart rate, the more effective your circulatory system is. And Mm -hmm. I am, according to Google, uh, below what is normal. Which is good. which is great, and it just and it's I was amazed because it was like Jesus, like thirteen years of smoking, and then suddenly you start doing a bit of exercise, and it's like, and now, body, we are well, repaired. That's, that's why you couldn't match David Blaine's breathing exercises. Well, that yeah, that helps. I was doing the opposite of you. You were training up your lungs, and I was slowly crushing mm. them. Um, but but and and, and the, the interesting thing I found out though is like, so how low can this go? Apparently, like elite African runners are taken at a very, very young age. And I think it's in Ethiopia or whatever because of the sort of geography they have. They're taken at a young age and trained in like up in the highlands, so in thin atmosphere. And they're put through this training regime whereby they have a heart rate, if if what I've read is true, of something like 28, 30 beats a minute if they're just at rest, which for any normal person means you're dead. (laughs) And for them, it's like, oh no, just I'm chilling, man. And like that, that sort of thing is actually crazy. Like, and I, when I was, it's amazing, ta- isn't it? It's, it's so is like, and I was taking my pulse and I was kind of like, take the pulse you got, Edgar, and then imagine half of it. And you're like, mm. that's a zombie. Like, it's absolutely mental. Like, and then the ability to run a kilometer in something like 2.5 minutes. It's like, man, what, what is this even like? God, <laughs> humans are amazing. Like, it's crazy. Great. Well, actually, um, no, we're not pretty great. We can do, we can do physical things quite well we're generally quite bad. Like, we destroy our environment and uh, things yeah, like no, that. Yeah, no, like, we're, we're impressive, I guess, is what I meant. Yeah, impressive is a good word, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much of this was uh, artificially aided, but Lance Armstrong has a resting heart rate of, like, 32 beats per minute. <laughs> That's crazy. It's, it's amazing. Like, I mean, I, I, I think, gen- I know he's, you know, a, a massive a massive doper, but... Like cycling is really, really, or it was at the time really, really dirty. Anyway, mm. um, so he, I mean, everyone else was doping, and he beat them. So he was like, had better, either had better doping, or like everyone was doped equally, and he's just you know still a, like a genetic freak or whatever, um, or some kind of combination there. I think I think he is like known as a, a, a kind of phenomenal athlete besides his his doping, um. I, they, I think his case. I think what he did was wrong, obviously, and I think it's uh, terrible for the people he competed against. You know, because you're kind of yeah. like, 
could I have won if the if the playing field was level? Like that's not cool. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's the case in point for just uh, the, the having the doping Olympics. And this has been <laughs> this has been talked about before. So I'm not going to dwell before on other podcasts. I'm not going to dwell on it. But like. Just, just think of the advancements. Like, we could have someone run the 100 meters in, like, three seconds. Like, wouldn't that be amazing to watch? And then think of, like, the medical advancements you have to make to continuously concoct better and better drugs to make you go faster. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Like, we might even end up spawning this, like, hybrid race of humans that are just, like, like superheroes. We'll end up creating superheroes, Bill. Yeah. You know, like, why this isn't a thing, I just don't cheetah, know. Like, just give everyone cheetah genes. Yeah, man. That'd be great. Strap everyone. Uh, we could strap people to cheetahs and have them go. That would be a great event. Like, cheetah horseback riding. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, just getting, I'm getting way too giddy. <laughs> Do you know what would not be awesome? Uh, actually, and it isn't even awesome in, in the actual Olympics. You know, like, the, 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 the animal dancey events? Like, you know, with the little horse and it does his little dance? Uh, dressage. Yeah, what's going on there, like? I've never, I've never really watched it. it. It kind of seems like I don't know anything about it. And I always thought that it seemed just kind of silly or whatever. What's but what? I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I, there must be something to it because it's, it's really popular. But who, um, but who, who came up with the decision to be like, do you know what we'll do? We'll make the horse dance, and then we'll it's, sit it's military around. drills. It's military military drills for the horse. Yeah, yeah. For the horse. Oh. I think so. But what's that going to do in battle? Like, if your horse can dance? No, like it's like control of the horse, and it's like basic maneuvers that would be used like in formation. Oh. When, like, marching or whatever information, and then maneuvering on a battlefield and stuff. I think it's kind of the origin of dressage. Bill, Bill, if you've got, like, that sort of, like, minute control over your horse, do you think it's... I realize you don't do, you don't do dressage, so just, just go with me here. Uh, do you think it's going to actually help on the battlefield? Uh, do you not think the horse is just going to get freaked and, like, leg it? Well, not, no, because they're trained... Like, I'm not just going to take any old horse and take it into the battlefield. Obviously, you have, like, a horse that's trained to be around other horses and gunfire and stuff. Oh yeah, okay, so they just they just find those things normal. Yeah, yeah. Cuz I was about to say if you have if you the horse are looking across enemy lines at a line of other horses coming at you with like bloodlust in their eyes, would you not yeah. be like, oh, I don't think I might get out of here today. Um but yeah, no, obviously the training would help. But there you go. Anyhow, hmm. man, the, the the nonsense we talk about, you know what? The discipline has a rich history with ancient roots in the writings of Xenophon. Okay, that's pretty old. Is this dr- dressage? Yeah. Jeez. So that goes back. That goes back to four thirty BC. Making horses. Which doesn't actually say what the what the history of it is here specifically. Do you know who would back that up? Do you know who would back that up with facts? Who? The nerd writer. Ah, uh, don't, don't be mean, like. <laughs> I told you I didn't like the video. Um, <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah there's, it seems to be some kind of thing on that, I guess. It's, it's like a, a, a demonstration of skill at horsemanship, I guess. And to be able to control the horse on like minute movements. Um, if, you, if you had to do a, an Olympic event, Edgar, what would you do? If I had to... Okay, okay. Now, we're going to have to set parameters for this question, right? Okay. Are you asking... Like, what's the end game here? Are you asking, like, what event would I do to do well in? What event would I like to do? Because they're two different questions. Like, I could. What event would you like to do? Like, what do you think would be a cool thing to do and a cool, like, skill to have? Where you could be like, yeah, I am a good athlete at this event, and that's cool. Oh, let me think now. Okay. Um, 
I probably, you know, probably like, like marathon running because like the, the, yeah. the concept of being able to run distances unfathomable to like 99% of the population is pretty cool. Yeah, that's you fair. know, it's not the most amazing thing, but like, yeah, I don't know, maybe fencing would be good. It'd be good to know how to use a sword. Um, I mean, I don't know, but to be fair though, like all the interesting things kind of aren't in the Olympics, you know, like, what? like, like, I don't know, uh, jousting <laughs> or, or, or what's called like medieval combat uh, or so you don't, you'd, you'd go to go to Russia and, and sign on in, the, in that uh, is it is it K one of the the, the okay. hold on I'll look this up K one sorry th there's a Russian MMA promotion that has uh, like swords and armor like division oh yeah <laughs> that's cool uh, no it's not it's stupid polar bear wrestling M one sorry it's M one is <laughs> is the uh, is the the promotion. Um, and they, I, 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 go on. They, they're like you know, they're like the UFC, like a mixed martial arts promotion company, and they have, um, I think, like a knife knights fighting. So you have armor and you have a sword and a shield and things. Phil, but that's, that's stupid. That's excellent. What is that? No, it's stupid. Why is it stupid? Because swords aren't designed to fight people in armor. If you fight someone in armor, you use like a mace or something or a halberd, like something that can pierce armor. Swords are really bad against fighting opponents in armor. Okay. Okay, so it's a good idea, just poor, poor, poorly executed. Well, I mean, like, I don't think there's any real good way to do that because, like, armor is really expensive. So if you were sending people in to actually hit each other with maces, then it would be, like, implausibly expensive to upkeep. Hmm. And yeah. also super dangerous. So maybe it kind of makes sense in that way. You're hitting each other with swords. You can't really do that much damage because you've got armor. So it makes sense in that in that way. But again, like... I don't know. It's, it just seems kind of like futile to me for that reason. Uh, I have more athletic things that I would do. Yeah. Uh, the aforementioned polar bear wrestling would be excellent. And then also... That, that isn't an Olympic event, Edgar. Bill, dream big. Okay. Dream big. <laughs> the, uh, the uh, like, yeah, like bungee jumping, like extreme bungee jumping. That should how be in the Olympics. How do you make that competitive? Who can bungee jump from the highest height before chickening out? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Who knows? Uh, or you could have like, oh, do you know what you could have? Oh, man, this would be awesome. If you had uh, highest... You, yeah, if you could have uh, uh, skydives without parachutes, and then you right. make it competitive by, <coughs> by awarding the gold to the person who can go the highest without dying upon impact. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like, because there was a thing that happened recently that 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 was a thing. Um, someone jumped out of a plane and they landed on a big massive net and they had no parachute or no nothing. Oh, I saw that. That was class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, what you need to do is you need to co make that a competitive competition. That'd be awesome. What would you do in the Olympics, Bill? Um, <laughs> this is going to be a slightly cheaty answer, but I'm going to go with it. Right? I um, said polar bear wrestling, man. I think your answer is going to be better than mine. I'm, I'm going to say. Two, two events, one of them uh, Summer Olympics and one of them Winter Olympics. Okay, beach volleyball. In the Summer Olympics, I would go for the modern pentathlon. The modern, the modern, Jesse says the modern pentathlon. pentathlon. Or pentathlon. That's how it's pronounced, or how it's written, rather. Okay, now while I'm looking this up, why? What are the five events here? 
The five events are fencing, uh-huh. swimming, right. show jumping, mm-hmm. and then a combined event of pistol shooting <laughs> and cross-country running. Who came up with this? Like, what? what is- it's all of the skills that a soldier would require. Okay. But that's interesting. Isn't it? Isn't that really cool? And they're all like cool, indi- well, I'm not, I'm not really bothered about swimming, but um, they're all like kind of cool individual things. You know, fencing, you know, using a sword, that's pretty, well, I mean, I don't know much about fencing as a sport. I don't think it's actually got that much to do with battering lads, but, you know. Um, uh, show jumping, you know, if, you, if you're if you on a horse, if you're in the cavalry, or if you, like, get stranded and need to steal a horse, you know, that's, you know, jumping over obstacles and evading your pursuers. Um, and then, obviously, pistol shooting and running. You know, you need to be fit. You might need to run away. And pistol shooting is obviously, you, you will have a pistol. At least as an officer, you would. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, think that's, I didn't even know that there's a distinction between pentathlon and modern pentathlon. Uh, yeah, the, I, I forget. The Greek one is like shot put javelin. So it's a similar kind of thing. It would have been right. um, soldiery skills for, you know, the classical hoplite or whatever. What's, your, what's the winter one? Uh, oh Jesus! Oh no, he said it. Oh, I was going to make. A, I was going to make a thing. You already are. You already are an Olympian. Why's that? Uh, don't you have an Olympic gold medal in? Is it tiger wrestling? Tiger wrestling. Yeah. Tiger, tiger wrestling. wrestling. Is it? Is it? See, a I was going to. I was going to bring that up, but then I only remember that after you said polar bear wrestling, I thought it might seem like a bit cheap as kind of a riff off yours. Um, Mm. I, I, uh, that's on my that's in my artifactian bio, isn't it? I, I believe that is in the bio is. we have on the thing the, yeah. the website. That would you like to inform people of your other achievements you have uh, accomplished in your life? I feel it's noteworthy. I can't remember what else I have up there, man. To be honest, I mean, okay. I'm, I'm sure some of them are non-spurious. But <laughs> okay, well, I want to just give a shout out to the fact that Bill is a was it you're a fighter? Pilot? I'm a fighter pilot. Yeah, I'm a fighter pilot. Fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. The only fighter pilot to hold three. Olympic gold medals in tiger wrestling, I believe, is what is on the official. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. It's good. Man, Bill, you're, you're some man, like, some man. I think I have that listed as my work on Facebook now. No, do you? Fighter pilot, I think so. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not even funny, like, because that's, that's what you do, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I came clean. Yeah, totally, totally. You, yeah. Just, you yeah. get it out there, you know? Um, but I love the way you're, like, sweeping the tiger wrestling under the rug slightly. Because um, you don't want to be too boastful about your amazing. Yeah, that's videos. why I didn't go to Rio this year. You didn't go to yeah, that's right. I was lo- I was looking for you on the telly. I was like, yeah. "Where's Bill?" And he's not talking to me. I was like, "What's this?" Man, about? can we can did we say see, something less see- stupid? I'm <laughs> I'm feeling really embarrassed about how stupid this is. <laughs> what you Bill? You're always up for the I mean, no. Again, we read the podcast like the half an hour ago. But this is going into is this, none of this going into the green room? Is this really going into the green room? I assumed it was. Up until the point where it got a little bit too silly for you. No, no, put that in. Absolutely put that in. Bill, nothing is ever too silly for you. You're the silliest person I know. I hear. <laughs> do, you know what, do, you know, do you want to know what my second one is? <laughs> yeah, yes, please. <laughs> it's the, the, the winter biathlon. The winter biathlon. Okay. Winter biathlon. Oh God! Okay, the okay, right? Okay, this is a cross-country skiing and rifle shooting. Why is this? What? Why is this a thing? Oh, I've seen this before. This is the oddest thing in the world. It's awesome. 
It is so, but it's really, but you can, but can you admit, man, that it's really odd? I, I'm, I just, it's just really impressive, I think. Is it? Yeah, because you, like cross country skiing is really hard and they go like long distances. I, 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 I've never been skiing. I have no intention to ever go skiing. Snow is wet. I hate snow, so I don't know. Oh, skiing's, skiing's great, dude. Oh, uh, man, but snow is wet. So, like, they, they have to ski, right? And it's really hard. Like, it's physically very demanding. And then, you know, you're really tired. You use your arms as well when you're doing that kind of skiing. And then you have to go and, like, shoot stuff. And that's, like, you know, you have to shoot accurately with your, your arms having done a lot of exercise and, like, hold the rifle. And it just, I just think it's really physically impressive. Is this something to do again with military? Like, as in, this is what hunting hunting is derived um, from hunting in s- snowy biomes. I guess, probably. That's that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might, it might be more to do with like you know hunting and surviving and being a lad in you know the north of Sweden or whatever. Um, be another, be rather, another. rather than specifically military stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I didn't mean it as in like organized military, but as in like, yeah, um, yeah you like based on yeah, based on hunting there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's those are some solid picks, Bill. There's some solid Ooh. picks. I I feel like I said let the side down here, um, because I was just someone who isn't really all that into sport. I, I I chose two two good options, didn't I? You did. It's not bad at all. Um, I you. you <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't continue on with the nonsense because Bill's getting self-conscious. But I don't worry about it, dude. I was going to be like, you should consider diversifying, perhaps uh, being a fighter pilot and a uh, three-time gold-winning uh, tiger wrestler is too too small time for you. I think you should yeah. diversify into biathlon. Way too small. Um, yeah, way too small. Anyhow, do you remember I was like, hey, Bill, you know the way like we all have, we're becoming, slowly becoming uh, real adults? Well, me more so than you. Uh, and what? That, what? what you, that's a bit offensive. No, it's offensive <laughs> to me, if anything, man. That you're and, more of an adult than I am. <laughs> no, 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 no. That I'm, bec- I have more to do to become an adult. Oh, I got you. It's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Like, as in, I'm, I'm the eternal child in this relationship, and I'm catching up to your status in adulthood. All um, right. Well, I mean, I, I do not agree, but go on. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. We're both getting there, Reggie. But the point, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I was like, oh, given that we're all like real grown-up adults, we should keep podcast recording really short so that it we have the ability to be able to edit and get out a podcast recording. And I was like, yeah. let's do, you know, an hour forty-five whittle it down to an hour and a half good length of a podcast here we are two and a half hours later <laughs> after at least my book i was like i was expressly <laughs> going okay okay right okay today is a day where we keep it short it's like nope <laughs> anyhow should we wrap this up let's leave it there bill it's been it's been joyous i wonder how much of this is going to stay in the uh <laughs> the main show I hope lots <laughs> so do I alright listen thank you so much man uh, and I'm going to one more time I'm going to say thanks to uh, thanks to Clockwork Door for sorting us out and potentially sorting us out ongoing and keeping the podcast alive it means a lot Irish people go check it out links in the show notes international people go show some love on Facebook Twitter and all the various social media that I can get off them it, this is this is a big deal for me and Bill alright Definitely, definitely. Cool. Will we will we do the Edgar out? Yes, okay. on the count of three. One, 
One, two, two three. Three. Edgar out. Edgar out. Or just get like just get rid of analog instruments altogether, acoustic wind instruments altogether, and everyone just play EWIs. Yes, no, that's a, I, that's a great idea. Yeah, no, I think we should. I'd like to do. get an EWI actually. Maybe I'll buy one. I have no idea what an EWI is. I was hoping that the conversation would move away really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> What's an it's EWI? Okay to ask questions, Edgar. Electric, an, no, an electric wind instrument. Uh, electronic. Oh, you got to give me that one. I was close, man. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs>